All right, so for the past couple weeks, again, we've been in this heartbeat of a disciple series. And just want to recap just a little bit because there's a reason this series, again, isn't called the heart of a disciple. Because the heart beat a disciple. It makes a difference. Having a heart is not enough, right? It's got to beat for something. We have to use it. It's got to pump Jesus Christ in and out and throughout our lives every second of every minute of every hour of every day, of every week, of every year. And it seems like that's a long commitment. Well, yeah, it is. Your heart has never quit out on you yet, right? You're still sitting here, right? Um, Unless you had some kind of major heart surgery or transplant or something like that, which maybe you have. But again, you're still sitting here. So your heart is pumping for something. What's it beating for? It's also a reason that that this series isn't called Heartbeat of a Christian, because we talked about on, on week one, Uh, Christians, you know, they can be groupies. There's a huge disconnect between what follower of Jesus Christ and disciple of Jesus Christ looks like and what largely the American culture regards as Christian, right? I'm not going to go over the figures. You can go back and invite you to listen to that again uh, as the first week and the last week on online on our podcast and website and stuff because Ben did a great job um, doing a better job than what I would have said anyway. So I'm thankful that he was here um, to, to give the message that God laid on his heart um, last week, and uh, so we, he, we talked about the heartbeat week one, and, and again, all the science behind knowing how your heart works, and that's a little bit important today as well. Last week, Ben talked about the impurities, the, the, the things that can, can wedge between us and God, and how God looks at the heart, whereas we tend to look at our outward appearance. Ben called it the scariest verse in the Bible. So again, go back and listen to that. I invite you to. Today we're going to be talking about this thing. We're going to be kind of paraphrasing it. This thing called oxygen. We're like, oxygen is not really the heart, is it? Yeah, it matters with the heart. We're going to talk about why. Because in Matthew 28, 16, again, you don't have to turn there, but this is kind of the, the central point, not just behind this series, but behind why we're disciples. Remember Jesus said, you know, go into the world and make what? Christians of all nations? No. Go into all the earth and make disciples, right? And teaching them the way they should go. So what are we doing about it? We're talking about this oxygen thing. We talked about it a little bit more, or a little bit earlier in our, in our song set. What are we breathing in and what are we breathing out? And again, to kind of recap a little bit of the science behind this, your blood is filled up with these little things called heme molecules, H-E-M-E, and that's where you get hemoglobin, right? And so blood going all through, and there's four little like docking stations, if you want to think about it, right? For carbon dioxide or oxygen, one or the other. And as your blood cells go through with these heme molecules all through your body, they, they pick up the bad things, carbon dioxide, and when they pass, being pumped by the heart to the lungs, they get rid of the CO2, and they pick up oxygen, to disperse to the rest of the body who desperately needs it. What would your body do if you didn't have oxygen? You would shrivel up and you would die. That's not very fun, right? So oxygen is important because the heart pumps this life-giving blood, this oxygenated, there we go, oxygenated, hey, you try it, oxygenated, let's just try it together, oxygenated, oh, you're fine, I'm good. So, um, oxygenated, it pumps this oxygenated blood all through your body so that you can live. So what are we doing with this new life God has breathed into us? If you call yourself a disciple, if you've been baptized, if you say, I've been saved by Jesus Christ, His blood has atoned for my sin, I've built that personal relationship that He has made a way for me, I know Jesus, and yeah, we're cool, we're buddies, we live life together, and it's great. But what are we doing about it? What are we passing on to the body? 
Or do we just come in here on Sunday mornings to pick up some oxygen and hold on to it for the rest of the week? So, this feels good. I'm going to hold my breath. I love Sundays. And try to keep this going for the rest of the week instead of breathing what God has breathed into us out into the congregation, out into the people. Like that's what discipleship is when we think about it. That's this oxygen coming in. God's breathing into us. We have to exhale at some point. We've got a generation of Christians who are holding their breath because they're too afraid to say anything. We're going to talk about three points today that are going to hopefully shake us to the core. It did me. Shake us to the core about what it means to be a disciple as we continue this series. Y'all ready for the first point? Two people. Again, ready. Two people for the first point. The rest of y'all put your tray tables in your upright and locked positions because here we go. First point. You can't have something amazing happen in your life and not talk about it. Let's think about this for a second. This is just a general fact, right? This is, there's, no, there's no biblical basis for this. It's just life. You cannot have something amazing happen in your life and not talk about it, right? Anyone watch the Alabama-Florida State game last night? Yeah, you see that? You know, you know Florida State fans because sometimes the war chant goes like this. Oh! Sometimes the war chant goes like this. Oh! 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 Oh, so that was one of those nights, if you're an FSU fan, I'm sorry for you last night. Sorry, Kim. But if, you, if you're a Bamba fan, you had a great night last night, right? And so you probably, you're checking ESPN for the stats because you had to, if you got to talk about this. Oh my gosh, Alabama won. It's the first college football game in that dome. Okay, maybe you're not a football fan. I get it, all right? What about any other sports team? Maybe you're really into curling, you know, and it's the t- Olympics are coming up. You're like, I can't wait to get on the ice with a small broom and do this thing because I can't. Curling's my thing. It's my jam. And that's just what I got to talk about. Maybe it's when you get married. Like, we put marriage on Facebook and, like, oh, I got married. Here's a thousand pictures of me taking a black and white and avant garde type of angles and everything. And here's a giant overhead thing and we're in a field. And for some reason, there's a bench in this field and a busted barn. But this is where we are. And we got married and I've got to talk about it. Look at all these pictures. All these pictures. I've got to talk about it because something amazing happened in my life. What if we went to Ireland or you took a vacation or something like that? I don't know what that feels like in a really long time, but you took a vacation and, and maybe you traveled somewhere. Maybe it's even somewhere as simple as. Disney and where you're walking around and you see all these people walking around in these theme parks nowadays with these long giant things they look like this and except on the end of a microphone they don't have a microphone they have a cell phone because they're walking around taking pictures of themselves everywhere selfies selfies and say look where I am I've got to talk about this I've got to share this on Instagram and Twitter and all these other social media outlets because I can't contain the joy that is a small world ride my 15th time. It's a small world after all. It, all right, I can't contain the joy. I've got to talk about it because something amazing has happened in my life. Some of you, your expectations in your bar are set really low because you're, you can't stop talking about the meals you're eating. It, like Wendy's up thing. You're like, look at the cheeseburger I'm eating. Or you went to a, you know, someplace, you got an Instagram or, or, or take the Snapchat or whatever of your food. Your bar is set pretty low, I guess, you know, because we all got to eat, but you, got, you can't stop talking about this regular meal. So we, if something amazing happens in your life, we got to talk about it, right? Kind of beating this to a point, yeah, to a pulp. Yeah, I got it, okay. The problem is that for many of us, that something has happened that is amazing in our lives. Something is happening that is amazing in our lives and through us and around us daily, and we could not be more silent. 
you got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 17. And again, like always, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's some over to uh, your left under the prayer board. I'm going to pick on Perry. He'd be close enough to grab you one. If not, if you don't have a Bible um, at all, grab one of those Bibles and take it home with you today. But Luke, chapter 17, verse 11 is where we're going to be. And you may have a heading that reads something like this, Jesus cleanses the ten lepers. It's really a misnomer. It should really be called Jesus heals one leper with nine followers. So, uh, verse 11, here we go. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. So you know that this is kind of a no-man's land, okay? This is the land of the unwanted. This is a place between Galilee, which was the Jewish people, and Samaria, which is the Samaritan people, the unwanted people, disliked and not allowed to be talked to by the Jewish people. And so they're in this no-man's land of weirdness, Okay? So he's passing through this area, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, like lepers should, because they've got this skin disease and covered in cloths and this, all this weirdness, and they had to maintain a certain amount of space. They stood at a distance, and they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, just one, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So he went back and he found Jesus. That's kind of cool, right? Because most likely Jesus kept moving on. So this guy had to track him down. Now they throw in this little fact here. Fun fact. Now he was a Samaritan. This is kind of like, oh, oh, wait a second. He wasn't, he wasn't a, a Jewish leper. He was a Samaritan leper. That's like worse, worse. Like, ugh. Like, we thought it was bad before when he had leprosy. But now that you told me he's a Samaritan, ugh, go back to having leprosy, and then we can talk about it. So this fun fact is in here because the distance that these people had in between each other. And this guy who found Jesus and who was a leper formerly came and found him, and he was a Samaritan, and Jesus answered, hey, weren't not ten cleansed? Like, weren't there more of you when I healed you? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God? Except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. There's some questions that I have, and I'm sure you have in this passage, and I think they're questions that need to be questions. I don't think they're questions that need answering. Questions like, Did the other nine remain healed? It's a valid question. Questions like, Or were their bodies made whole, but their hearts still remained sick? Like they looked better on the outside, but inside they were still not well. Because there's a difference, isn't there? Regardless of the answers to these questions that we'll never know, Jesus makes it clear that something happens with this one dude that does not happen with the nine others. He makes that very clear. This guy who comes back, been healed from leprosy, finds Jesus and gives him thanks and gives him praise. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 where's your buddies? Where's all the other nine who got healed? Because you're only one out of ten. That ratio is actually pretty low. Where, where's, where's the other 90% of the people I healed? He's like, I don't know, but I'm here giving you praise. You know what, rise. You know what? Go your way because your faith has made you well. I don't know if the other people got sick again. Got leprosy again? The Word doesn't tell us that. I'm inclined to think they did. Because of the difference that Jesus makes with saying, hey, 
your faith has made you well. Not the other nine, but the person who came back and gave thanks. As a disciple of Jesus, we have to admit something continually. That what he has done, that moment when you accepted him, that moment where he hopefully transformed and came and swept out the, the dust and the dirt and the grime that is your and I sinful heart like Ben talked about last week. That's what salvation is. It's a heart transplant. And hopefully that moment where Jesus came into your life and did that is an amazing thing, isn't it? You, you know you, the way you were before and you know the way you are now and hopefully there's a big difference between the two. Because if there's not, that's why we're doing this series. What God has done and is doing and will do is amazing. You know what? And it's worth putting it on our Instagram. It's worth putting it on our social media. It's worth sharing to Facebook. It's worth talking to your waiter or waitress about. It's worth flagging down the guy at the gas pump next to you. He looks like he's had a rough day. It's worth that because what God has done in you and is doing in us, and will do, is amazing. And it's worth talking about. And if we aren't thankful for it, that's why these figures in the Christian church in America don't add up. Because that's these numbers. One in ten are thankful for what God has done, is doing, and will do in their lives. Are active in the life and breadth of a church body. The other ninety... Man, they just go for Christmas and Easter and call it a day and put a checkbox on their list. Don't be that guy. Because God calls us to more. American f- churches, are, again, are filled with these three types of people. One, those who have not allowed Jesus in. They come and they sit in here and they assume that just like sitting in the garage is going to make them a car. It doesn't work. <laughs> Number two, those who have been here and accepted Jesus and choose to do nothing about it. And then the third smallest percentage, those who have accepted Christ, allowed Him into their lives, who are thankful, and who actually do something about it. Who actually understand that something happened that was amazing in their lives. Because they used to be in prison. Or they used to be addicted. Or they used to have a problem. Or they used to lie. Or they used to do a whole bunch of different things. You say, I'm not that person. I'm not a perfect person. But I'm not that person. Because God is continually transforming me by the renewing of my mind and molding me like that jar of clay, right? Making us into the shape and the form that He knows that we can be. Ben talked about God knows our potential last week. So which category do you fall in? Because there's only three. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Just over a couple pages. First book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Verses 35 through 38. Just a short little bit here. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. And if you want to read an elongated version of this, it can be found in Luke 10. But this is the Matthew version. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. There's that one in ten. Like there's nine people who don't give a you-know-what. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Myself and the elders at our meetings, we often talk about how we've seen what this church was and we've seen what God is doing in it. And we keep talking about the fact that God is building His church. 
God is building you and me. He's, he's putting to us together for a purpose that is beyond ourselves and greater than any single one of us. And just standing back watching that something amazing is happening and it's worth talking about. It's worth sharing about. So the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We can also insert that word disciple in there. There's a lot of Christians, but few disciples. Which one are you going to be? Our second point today. You can't rejoice in the harvest unless you're willing to sow in tears. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. You can't rejoice in the harvest unless you're willing to sow in tears. Jesus talked about the harvest. So, Josh, what do you mean? Let me explain. There's a missionary named Del Tar in 1983. He'd been a missionary to West Africa for over 14 years. And he was in this village called Sahel, right, which is on the edge of the Sahara Desert. And, and, and it's dry and dusty, and, and the sand blows in, and these sandstorms right there on the edge of the desert, and the sand gets everywhere, in your boots, in your shoes, in your clothes, in your mouth. And so you can kind of try to imagine this arid, dry environment that these people eke out a living in, right? And there's only four wet months of the year. May, June, July, and August are these wet months. And on these days, they're, they're happy. The meal starts coming in, and, and they make this little match. It's almost like cream of wheat consistency that they make from this grain, and they can, they can save that for a little while, right? And then they have the good months, October and November. They, they eat two meals a day. They're happy, we're like, two meals a day? Yeah, that's it. Those are big meals for them. Two meals a day they eat of this mash and this grain and a few other little things that they dig up out of the ground and, and a, just a little bit of, of animals and things that they can hunt right there on the edge of the desert and goat's milk and things like that, right? So they're eating all this stuff. Two meals a day is good for them. And then they start waning off because in December and January, it's down to one meal a day. And by the end of January going into February, it's a very small meal a day. This is when sickness and weakness happens and some kids don't make it. They don't survive. Some adults who are elderly or infirmed, they don't make it either. And the sickness seems to run through because they, they don't get enough nourishment, right? They've got to reduce the intake of their bodies. Why? Otherwise, they're not going to have enough for next year. And eventually April comes and Del Tar writes that it haunts his memory because inevitably, every year there is some small child who goes running into the shack where they, they keep the goats or something like that. And he runs into the shack. He said, Dad, 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 I found grain. And Dad's like, what do you mean? We're out, we're out of grain. We don't have any grain. No, 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 I found grain. It's in this leather sack hanging up there on the wall in the shack where we keep the goats. Dad, we have grain. So can, can you get with Mom and please make us some food because we're really super hungry, Dad. And with tears in his eyes, the dad says, Dad, No. Let's put this leather sack with the grain back on the wall because this is all the seed we have for next year's sowing. And this is the only thing between us and starvation. Weeks later in May, right before the rainy season begins, the farmer goes out into this little field that he has. And instead of feeding his weak and hungry family with tears in his eyes, he goes out into the field and he does something unimaginable. He throws it away. All this grain, all this food that could have fed his family and made the meals, he throws it into the ground, crying. Why? Because he believes in the harvest. 
The seed is his. He can do whatever he wants to with it. He could eat a meal or not eat a meal. They can make food for the family or not make food for the family. Or he could ration it. Do something that the world seems crazy and just throw it away, throw it into the ground. But months later, those tears when he was crying and putting that seed into the ground will come harvest. And they'll be able to eat for another year rather than another month and die. You can't rejoice in the harvest unless you're willing to sow in tears. Psalm 126 reminds us of that. And it's just two verses, but I want you to turn there because I want you to see this jumping out on the page. The Word of God breathing to life. Psalm 126, verses 5 and 6. And hopefully this will make sense for us after this story. Because those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of what? Joy. He who goes... Out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And in Africa, the ministers remind themselves to this verse yearly because it's so important. Like, remember this. Applicable word of God for life. So what would it cost us? What would it cost you and I to sow in tears for the kingdom of God? Would it cost us that thing we really wanted to do? Well, yeah, maybe. Would it, would it cost us time to, I really like to watch my TV show. This is when my show comes on, Josh. And I really like to sit there and watch it. Or I really like to go to the gym. Or I really like to go fishing. Or I really like to go get my nails done or whatever. Or could you serve or take a meal to somebody? Could you show up and, and be Jesus for somebody in a, some different location? Could you be part of a small group or a life group that is diving deeper into God's Word? Say, Josh, Disney's really important to us. We only live an hour away from one of the greatest theme parks in the world. Yeah, but after you spend $769 for a platinum annual pass per person, you're at three grand. What could you do with three grand? Is God calling you to give up Disney? I don't know. Is he? That's between you and that's between you and him. But what would it cost you to actually sow in tears? Because us as disciples, us as Christians today in America, we don't sow in tears. We sow with ease. We're like, ah, oh, it's not easy for me. I'm not going to do it. This might be a little difficult for me. It might be awkward. It might be a little awkward. They might think I'm strange. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. I'm not going to share the amazing thing that God has done and is doing in my life because, to be honest, if I actually cared, I would share. Is this hitting the core like it did me? Are you willing to give up even, yes, your job to sow in tears? One guy is. Washington State High School, Bremerton High School football coach Joe Kennedy was suspended and not rehired after he took a knee for 30 seconds after every football game at midfield. This is recent. This just came into the news. This is from, he was a coach there from 2008 to 2015, and now this is finally coming out because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said he has violated the Constitution. That's right, if you're Catholic, you are now not allowed to cross yourself on a football field without being against the Constitution. Thank you, Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Freedom of speech and religion we came here for. And if you watch that video, there's a great line in it before the sermon. Just because we're saved doesn't mean we're safe. We could just breeze, oh, that's a cool video, I kind of checked out, I checked Facebook, 
see what was going on. Yeah. We can kind of tune out. This is such a great line. Don't miss that. What would it cost us as you and me as individuals and as this church to do something radical, to do something unimaginable for Jesus and for others because we actually believed in the harvest? Because we actually cared that maybe, hey, maybe, maybe one person is going to come to Jesus Christ. I've talked to 18 and they've all given me a no. But maybe there's the one, like a leper, who is going to come back and be thankful So I'm not going to stop trying because I believe in the harvest. And if it costs me something, if it costs me my job, if it costs me money, if it costs me time, if it costs me talents, if it costs me treasures, if there's a cost, I'm going to take it. Because that's what God asked us to do through Jesus' His Son. Pick up your cross and follow me. There used to be a time where Christians received crosses for free. You'll get that joke later. We can't rejoice in the harvest unless we're willing to sow in tears. Matthew chapter 16, 24 through 36. It's exactly what we were talking about. And Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I want you to listen to a clip really quick. There's a a preacher that you may have heard of. He's been around for 40 years. His name is Dr. Tony Evans. And I remember growing up, my dad had this old Plymouth station wagon. I call it, maybe it was new at the time, I guess. He didn't want to give it up because he brought my sister and I home from the hospital in it. And so it had vinyl seats that stuck to your skin in the summer, so 10 months of the year. And um, it, was just, it was this hot car, and you know we, there were less rules back in the day. I don't even remember if there were seat belts in it. And we would climb in the back seat behind where the trunk area technically, and we'd face backwards. And I used to ride in the car with my dad, and my sister would have, you know, ballet practice, and my dad would work late nights, and I'd ride around with him, and I'd be kind of stuck waiting while he did a lot of his, his law stuff at the public defender's office, and I'd just be around waiting. And I remember, like, Dad, can't we listen to something else? Dad, can't we listen to something else? He'd always be driving around in this red Plymouth station wagon, listening to WCIF, where Christ is first, and Dr. Tony Evans would be on in his voice, and you're going to hear it in just a few minutes. I never realized. First of all, I realized I'm becoming my dad. Because I'm driving around, listening to WCIF, Dr. Tony Evans. I don't have the red station wagon. But my dad rubbed off on me. And I hope someone in your life has rubbed off on you. And what they're talking about at Dr. Tony Evans' church right now where he's been out for 40 years, is exactly what we're talking about today. And I was driving around, listening to it this week. I'm like, I'm just gotta, I just got to find this clip somewhere. So I found this clip. It's only about four and a half minutes. I want to close your eyes. And maybe you can pretend to be back in the back seat of a red station wagon and vinyl seats with me. If that's all right, that's where I'm going to be in my brain. But maybe you can just sit there without air conditioning. Let me run you that. And, um, 
and so enjoy the comfortable AC. I just invite you to close your eyes or just really take this in and listen because I cannot say it any better. And, and I, you know, Ben and I have also, t- you know, talked often, like, we don't carbon copy or cut and paste anybody else's messages. This is what God is breathing into the life and hearts of our church every single week. And if someone said it better, I'm just going to play what they said. So here's Dr. Tony Evans from a message uh, two weeks ago um, on being a disciple. Let's pray this works. Baptize them in the name. This word baptism is from a Greek word pronounced baptizo. Baptizo was an interesting word in New Testament times. It was used of a dye maker. He would make dye for cloth. So if a mother wanted to sew her daughter a pink dress, she would buy the cloth and bring it to the dye maker. The dye maker would then immerse the cloth into pink dye because the mother wanted to make a pink dress. Put it up, hang it up, let the sun dry it, then give the cloth back to the mother so the mother could take the cloth that's now been dipped in pink to make the daughter a pink dress. In other words, the color of the dye attached itself to the cloth so the color of the cloth changed. There was a union that occurred between the dye and the cloth so that what you started with looks different now. What you started with, the color has changed. It has been reclassified and re-identified as now pink. That's not where it started. When you were baptized, that covenantal act was saying, I am willing now to have a brand new identity. When a woman gets married and puts on the ring, she changes the name. Her last name changes because she is no longer to be identified with her father. She is now to be identified with her husband because she's entered into a new union. Baptism has to do with a new union you have become attached to, associated with, you have become connected to. You are now reclassified in Jesus Christ. He is your new point of identification. You are a Christian. That means that your identity with God comes through the relationship through Christ. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 10, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. But then he says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. Because my father's only going to do for you what I agree with. And I'm only going to agree with stuff you include me in. So if you include me in church, but leave me out in the street, on the job, with your friends, with your homies, you don't want to be associated with me out there, but you all lovey-dovey with me in church. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Why? Because all authority has been handed to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, I want you to go as a baptized person, as a person married to me. Then teach them, it says. Teach them how to live. Teach them to observe. That's what the verse says. Teach them to observe whatever I have commanded you. Verse 20 says, teach them to observe whatever I have commanded you. 
Okay, here's the goal. The goal of preaching is not merely knowledge. Knowledge is critical because hopefully you learn. But the goal of preaching is observation or application. Without application, teaching becomes a waste of time. Let's say, for example, you are having heart surgery tomorrow and it's life or death. You could live or die based on this heart surgery. They're prepping you the night before for this life or death surgery tomorrow. The doctor comes in and he says, I want to explain to you in detail what we're going to be doing in this, this very delicate life and death surgery tomorrow. I want you to understand what's getting ready to occur. So he takes 30 minutes and takes you through all the idiosyncrasies of the surgery. He says, do you have any questions? You say, yes, doc, I have one. How many other times have you done this? <laughs> to which he says, you're my first one. <laughs> but don't worry, because I made A in heart transplant class. Now, I don't know about you, but he not operating on me. I don't care how many A's he made. I don't care if, if he's summa cum laude or laude come soon. I, I don't care about that. I don't care about that. If you have never done it before, but you've only studied it, that's not enough for me. You are not a disciple until application is here. The fact that you took notes, memorized verses, all that's nice, but until it becomes part of your life, discipleship is not yet in place. This leads us to our third point today. You can't be a private Christian and be a disciple. There's no other way around it. It's a, it's a blatant truth screaming at us in Scripture and in our lives. You cannot be a private Christian. Well, I keep my faith to myself. I just don't like to talk about it with anybody else. If you've got nothing to talk about, it's because nothing's been done. Because what God does is amazing. All the time. Every time. And if you're a private Christian you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's no in-between. You're one or you're the other. And this is where this oxygen thing comes in this morning because the world is a dying place. It's gasping for air and they're trying to find it in a million different kinds of ways that all lead to nothing. You and I are these heme molecules we talked about that have so many little docking stations where I can, I can take things in and I can breathe things out. And you and I are meant to carry true life to the rest of the body, both in here and out there. That's why our purpose statement, again, here at True Life Church is what? We exist to share true life through Jesus Christ. Not we exist to keep true life to ourselves. John Petch is our discipleship leader. He's working hand-in-hand hand with Mary Mary, who's back now. Yay, Mary's, Mary's back. And, and um, she's our evangelism pillar leader. And discipleship and evangelism are two of the six things that, are, again, are key in the life of our church here. And John Petch is leading a discipleship workshop starting later this month. We're done with classes here. Classes are boring. Workshops do. 
So we're done with classes. We're doing workshops. And starting later this month, if this has fired you up or you want to learn, I, I've got a great story, but I don't know how to share it. I, I feel uncomfortable. Guess what? That workshop, that's where you need to be. It's going to be on Sunday night starting September 17th. Five o'clock, right? Five o'clock. I'm telling you, you want to be a part of this. It, it's, it's fantastic. It'll change your life because you and I are meant to give of ourselves. We breathe in. Maybe it's on a Sunday morning, maybe it's through a Bible study, maybe it's through private reading and prayer. And we also need to breathe out our resources, our time, our talents, so in tears and treasures, because what God is doing and will do is amazing. So we return like that leper every week here on Sunday. We return to give thanks and praise. And then we are meant to, just like Jesus said to that one dude who came back, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We are meant to come in here and give thanks once a week. And then you want, we are meant to rise and go our way. Telling everyone we come in contact with along our path this good news, this gospel, right? What's the first two letters of gospel? Ben, you know, let's do the whiteboard thing. Um, um, we're, we're kind of ghetto here. Uh, we don't have a fancy whiteboard thing, so I just ripped it off the wall. And Ben, I'm going to need you to hold that because we have one last thing we're going to look at this morning. Um, he'll be my easel, my Vanna White. He looks fabulous, doesn't he? He's, he's, giving, us our, he's giving us our good side. His good side right now. I'm just kidding. Um, so there it is. So I, I want you to think about something because the way you think about this will change, will change you and my approach to discipleship. And it's not hard, it's simple. All right, we have, I don't know, we have a moving whiteboard, right? We have an eternal God, right? An eternal, loving God. Yes, you get to see it after. Ever loving, everlasting. He had one son, right? Jesus Christ, right? One way, one truth, one life. And he gave us one word when he left, right? What was that word? it. Go. Make disciples. Tell them about an everlasting God with one wonderful way through Jesus Christ's Son with one purpose that we have. Go. One word he left us with. Thanks, Ben. You can be good with that. You look fantastic. It's a good look for you. When It says go. Thank you. It's a very fancy drawing of go. When you and I think that way, it, it, we, we can complicate what is already simple. God made it simple for us. He said, I'm going to give my son, Jesus Christ, to show you a way to pave a path for relationship so that what was you can no longer be you. You can be changed, just like Dr. Tony Evans talked about, dipped in a brand new color of cloth, rising up out of that baptism, made new creation. Say, the old is gone, the new has come. And now that it's come, I have a responsibility. I have a task ahead of me. I have to take up my cross and follow Him. And there is a cost. It could be money. It could be time. It could be your job. It could be your uncomfortability. It could be your location. It could be your travel. It could be a bunch of different things. But there is a cost. And if you and I believe in the harvest enough to sow in tears and give up what we think we have, because we really don't have anything, but to use this breath, this oxygen that God is pouring into us, exhaling that out of the community, God will change not only our hearts, but this. And that's, that's what happens. 
Because it's not always just one interaction. Well, I'm going to change the world because of what God does to me. No, God's going to make you new again too. And when you talk to them, He's going to show you things about yourself. And when you pray for them, you can't pray selfishly. You ever know that? Prayer starts off selfish. God, help me with this class. I've got a test. God, help me with this bill. I've got to pay you know, tuition. God, help me, help me, help me. And if you pray long enough, and if you pray hard enough, and if you pray diligently enough, your prayer does no longer become selfish. God, I know someone who has cancer. I just lift them up. Put your healing hands upon them. God, I know someone else who's worse off financially than I am. Show me a way that maybe I can help them out. And the more you pray and the more you follow and the more you are a disciple of Christ, that selfishness disappears. And the cost to sow in tears becomes joy in the harvest. The laborers are few, but the harvest is plenty. So what are you and I going to do about it. I have to band up as we pray.